We've got a big potential takeover of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, an optimistic Lloyd Blankfein, and a big IPO put on ice. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This year is David Hansen. You're back. I am, I am back. And, and you know what? You know what happened over the weekend while I was gone? You grew a beard. No. Well, that's been <laughs> happening for a while, and it's terrible. That is not the story. The story is that you and I showed, off, showed down, faced off, whatever you want to say, in fantasy football. And what, what happened? I think you won this time. We're one and one. <laughs> I'll see you in the championship. One and one indeed. All right. I, I won't make you dwell on that. Let's just get to the headlines. The first headline we have for today is from the Financial Times. The headline is Investors Pitch to Take Over Much of Fannie and Freddie. This is the some private equity funds, some hedge funds looking to basically buy Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac or big parts of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac away from the government. We've got Fairholme in on this, Bruce Berkowitz, who's talked a lot about the preferred shares of of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Uh, Blackstone's GSO arm, Paulson and Company, Perry Capital. They're trying to pull in KKR and Carlisle. This is like... The who's who. Yeah, this is like the titans of Wall Street getting together. Do you think this has any chance of of happening? My first thought was no. Well, my first thought was I had to read the article twice. I was like, so Wall Street's trying to buy Fannie and Freddie? Because yesterday, Morgan and I talked about kind of all the obstacles that are in the way of actually doing anything with them, and that this could draw out for five to ten years. I don't think this is a realistic kind of avenue of where Freddie and Fannie will go. It's possible, but I putting all private capital here and buying out the government, this just seems way out of right field. I don't know if this can really work in the long run. Now, here's, here's probably the question that more of our viewers and listen, listeners are wondering about is, what happens to the common here? Because mm-hmm. as I read over this article, and to be sure, the, the details here are sketchy so far, um, but as far as I could tell, it sounds like this is a, this is a, a, a private equity buyout, mm-hmm. and this is done by folks who own a lot of the preferred shares. And I'm kind of thinking that the common may get left out in the cold here. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is, this is early, early hearing right. about this. And like you said, I, I'm, I'm probably on the same page as you in terms of this not actually having a chance of happening. But, uh, but as I've said before, if, if you put a gun to my head and said you had to buy either the preferred or the common shares of these, I would feel a lot more safer, a lot safer being in the preferred, mm-hmm. and this may back that up. Just that the the preferred shareholders seem to be trying to wield some power here in this situation. Right, you may not have as much upside as you do at the common, but I think your the chances of you being completely wiped out are a lot smaller. Still pretty big in my in my opinion, but a lot smaller than the common there. So if this moves forward at all, it'll be very interesting to to hear about. What the what would happen to the common because mm-hmm. the the preferred in this plan would get would get converted to common shares. So Very we'll have to wait and see. All right, next headline came from Bloomberg. Blankfein says Goldman Sachs can boost ROE, that's return on equity, without major changes. So before the crisis, Goldman Sachs return on equity between 20, 30 percent, huge. Now it's only around 10 percent. And Blankfein came out and said, hey, it's 10 percent, it's lower. But when the risk free rate is zero. It's not bad. Give us some credit here. Uh, I think you have to be optimistic, as Lloyd is, that he's saying, now's not the best time for our firm, but we're not going to do anything to really change the face of our our firm just to try to boost ROE in the short run. He said, we have a good business. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And over the long run, that should move up just based on where we are in the market. 
I think that's I think that's a fair approach, and and I I tend to agree with them. I think this is I think it's a, a really good business. Um, the, there are knocks that you can make against Goldman Sachs, including the fact that it's a very opaque business. So outside investors don't really have good insight into what's going on behind uh, closed doors at Goldman Sachs. But I do think that there's certainly opportunity to expand uh, ROE without doing anything too crazy. However, the the concern is is that right now. Um, Taking risk right now versus taking risk down the road. When's when's the payoff better? And and over the last few years, there's maybe been more opportunity for safer risk taking. And as the market starts to heat back up, um, that's maybe the time to get a little bit more concerned about about taking too much risk. But I'm going to say that Lloyd Blankfein probably knows a good time to be throttling risk. So hopefully that is the case. And you you say Goldman's an opaque business, and I I would probably agree with that. It's not easy to go through their filings and understand everything that they're doing and everything they're invested in. But I will say that Lloyd Blankfein's a very... Uh, he's very good at communicating the business and the economics of his business. He's not on the conference calls all the time. He usually leaves that to his lieutenants. But when he's out doing interviews, he is very clear about the business, what do they do for their clients. So as a shareholder, I feel confident with Lloyd steering the ship. But tr- try to get him to tell you what's going on inside the trading business. That's, Which that's, is a that's, big their, that's their secret there. That's their yeah. secret sauce. Well, that's their whole business. But, but I feel confident that he, he is thinking long-term. You can say Goldman Sachs traders, uh, they can be short-term thinkers sometimes. That's possible. But Goldman Sachs, the business, does think long-term. So it's, so it's a jockey playing you like, uh, you like Lloyd. I do indeed. All right. Uh, third headline here. We've got a fun one. This is from Dealbook. Back injury puts football player on IPO delayed list. This is, of course, about the proposed Arian Foster IPO. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was this was through a company called Fantex was was organizing this, but then Stiefel was also going to be uh, the underwriter on this. So I would think obviously uh, Fantex and Stiefel are are potential losers on this. Mm-hmm. It was probably not a huge amount of potential income for them, but sort of an innovative, uh, an innovative IPO, an innovative offering, uh, and maybe something that could have been repeated. So when you look at what's happening with Arian Foster now, whose season's, season's over, mm-hmm. and, and this, this would really ding the prospect of, of having this go forward in the future, uh, for him in particular. Right. So the question is, is that can, can, can they then roll this out to other players or, or teams or whatever? And I would say people would probably think twice now. I, I think they will think that. They should have thought twice in the first place. But it, it does make sense. And for those who don't know, is Arian Foster the football player? And I think the deal was he would get around $10 million up front for return of, nice I think sense. it was 10% of his future earnings, whether it be endorsements, but it was, was brand-related endorsements, right? Arian, and, and contract as well. Oh, it was contract. So it was 10% of his future earnings kind of into perpetuity there. And it's kind of a lose-lose for everyone. It's a lose-lose for Fantex. It's a lose-lose for Stifle. It's a lose-lose for Arian Foster because he was, if it would have gone through, he would have got a nice lump sum of sure. $10 million there. He's not getting that anymore. And now his career is maybe a little bit in the balance. And he would have got the $10 million. And the way it was worded is he would have had to stay in the league for two more years. Mm-hmm. So if he would have retired within two years, then he would have had to give it back. So now he doesn't get the $10 million. He's 27 years old, having back surgery. I'm not a sports analyst well, here, but Well, a- Adrian we'll Peterson see. with major knee surgery just a couple years ago. That's true. So it, it's not a good situation for everyone. But I, think it is a prob- I don't think it's a model that's going away. I think this probably has a niche market. How soon before we see a David Hansen IPO? There needs to be one. I mean, my future earnings, they're looking bright. There does need to be one. (laughs) All right, moving on to 
the emails for the day, right? Mm-hmm. That, is our, that is our next stop. You can email us, readers and uh, viewers and listeners can email us at uh, WTMI at fool.com. Question today, Matt has indicated that he is not a fan of AGNC, that's American Capital Agency, ticker symbol AGNC. So what would it take for Matt to become a fan or an investor? That's from Dell Clark, an AGNC shareholder. And yes, I, I, have, I have said on a number of occasions that I'm not a big fan of, of AGNC. Uh, what would it take? So part of what, would it ta- what it would take is, is I would want to see a more conservative um, management team, for starters. And, and they've started to show that, to be fair. They, they, they were talking about being more conservative uh, last quarter um, during the conference call. Mm-hmm. But still, compared to some of the other some of the other mortgage REITs that they compete with, that you could that you could compare them to, Annalee has been much more conservative for a longer period of time, trying to manage an uncertain uh, mortgage REIT and bond environment. So that that's part of it. I also prefer the idea of of some more flexibility within a mortgage REIT. So both uh, American Capital Agency and Annalee Capital. I wouldn't say they're totally restricted to just agency-backed mortgage-backed securities, but primarily that's right. that's mm-hmm. basically all that they invest in. And sometimes it'll be a good time to invest in agency mortgage-backed securities. Sometimes it won't. Right now is one of those times when it's not really. So you're seeing the the downside to being hitched to just that. So that's that's part of the problem too. And then I think it would take some of the other some of the other mortgage REITs out there to not be as attractive. Because because when it comes down to it, even if I started to like American Capital Agency more, at some point you got to make a decision between the, the choices that are available to you. And I frankly I, I think uh, Annalee Capital has uh, it has a longer track record for sure. I think it has a better management team there. There's some knocks you can put against that management team, but right. I, I still like it better. And Two Harbors, which is my my favorite in the mortgage REIT space. They have a lot of the ingredients that, that, I, that I like. They have a very good management team. They have a lot of that flexibility in terms of where they can allocate capital. And they're looking to turn that business into less of sort of a hedge fund mm-hmm. and more of a sustainable business, which I, I really appreciate. So where does, where does price come in? With with A, G, and C, so it's trading at a discount to book. Uh, that's maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I don't have the numbers in front of me, but maybe a, a ten to fifteen percent discount to book. Now, how cheap does this would this have to get to for you to be okay? Now I'm interested at a at a twenty five percent discount to book. So, but but the question would be why is it at, 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 at a, well at a discount at how much more of a discount than competitors? Right. So if you look at, at Annalee right now, at least last time I checked it, it was about a ten percent discount to mm-hmm. book value. So if Annalee is at a ten percent discount and uh, American Capital Agency is at a fifteen percent discount, I still think I like Annalee better. If um, Two Harbors, I think Two Harbors may be around the same too. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, definitely prefer that there. If uh, if all things held equal to right now, and American Capital Agency maybe had another ten to fifteen percent discount versus the others, mm-hmm. I could I could consider th- that that might get me more more interested. So, so amongst its peers, it has to be significantly cheaper for you to even consider. Yeah, because uh, price is price is certainly a consideration for me, but it's not the foremost consideration. I, I mean. You have to consider what the entire business is worth to be able to compare it to that price, mm-hmm. and into that consideration of how much is this business worth. It's who's the management team, 
what's the future of the business, all these kind of factors. And I think those factors are worth more. They're more valuable at other mortgage REITs versus American Capital Agency. All right. So you're not a fan, but some things that could potentially make you a fan. Potentially. It could, could push me in that we'll direction. I, I, just, I, I also don't have that much interest in overweighting. I actually have no mortgage, mortgage REITs in my portfolio right now. I don't really have an interest in having a whole bunch of them in there either. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I bought any for my portfolio, it would probably be one, maybe two. All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. This is what Dell should do. Dell should email us and say... Why does he like American Capital Agency over the competitor? So I'd love to hear what his... Or, any, or any other viewers and listeners who exactly. are interested in the mortgage rate space. We understand that not all of our listeners and viewers are interested. Mike has in told us that. Yes. But if you are, let us know your favorite. Let us know why. Let us know why you think we're crazy. There you go. All right. Moving on to our game for today. It is Rank It. And we were talking about earlier today, we were talking about um, Lloyd Blankfein and saying how he believes that Goldman Sachs can get to a better ROE without doing too much of anything different. Mm-hmm. Does, that make, does that put Goldman at the top of your list, or somebody else beat them out? Right, so we're ranking the investment We are, yes, sorry, sorry, I went through all that. Yes, we're ranking the investment banks. And pure play investment banks, so we're not including J.P. Morgan, Bank of America. They have investment banks, right. but we're going stick to stick to the, the Wall Street Because we, we covered them in the big, when we ranked the big four. Exactly. So to answer your question... Here are my rankings, one through five, my favorite investment banks. And Goldman Sachs takes the top position. I'll read them off real quick. Number one, Goldman Sachs. Number two, Evercore. Number three, Morgan Stanley. Number four, Lazard. And number five, Green Hill. So Goldman Sachs, we talked about Lloyd Blankfarn earlier. I'm not going to rehash all that. still think it's cheap. I think ROE will improve. I'm a shareholder of Goldman Sachs. Happy shareholder. They're my number one. Evercore is my number two. And I think on your rankings, you have them a little bit lower. And I'm going to disagree. <laughs> why, are you, why are you? I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, but but I, was, I was upset when I saw you had Evercore ranked <laughs> lower. Uh, the stock's been a big performer, and I think it's justified. You think that's going to convince me? Well, no. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying I think you may think it's expensive. The stock's been, been on a great run. It's outperformed most of these here on the list. And I think it's justified. They're growing business. They're winning business. Yeah. We saw their earnings last quarter. Huge earnings. Stock jumped 9%. And that's not a thing that... I love to see, it, since I'm not a shareholder, but I think it's warranted. I think it's a winning business that the market's realizing it's winning, so they are my number two. What, what differentiates that and makes that better for you than a Lazard or a Greenhill? It's hard to point to <laughs> the one thing that's a differentiator. Uh, I like how they're kind of a pure play on advisory. I know Greenhill is too, but you're kind of like the mortgage reads. You're betting on the people. You're mm-hmm. betting that they get the business, and they're getting the business, so you can't argue with the results. <laughs> so they're my number two. Uh, we can get back to some of my other ones, but I'll let you read your. All right, yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and put up my rankings here. Uh, just like you, I've got Morgan, uh, I've got Goldman Sachs number one. I've got Morgan Stanley as my number two, and then it's Greenhill, Lazard, Evercore in the base, Evercore number five. <laughs> but look, 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 here's here's the other thing to consider. We didn't, although we ended up covering the same uh, the same companies in our rankings, mm-hmm. we didn't have to. So there, there are other uh, investment banks out there that we could have considered in this, and they did not make the rankings. So mm-hmm. Evercore, number five on my list, but that doesn't mean that they're my least favorite investment right. bank investment. Your fifth favorite. Fifth, fifth favorite, there you full. go. Goldman, Goldman Sachs, I don't think just my favorite investment bank. I think that that is one of the better opportunities out there right now, period. Goldman Sachs at one time's book value, I think is a, a great opportunity. Morgan Stanley, not it, it's just 
it's not Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have nearly the business. I don't think that Goldman Sachs does. But I think that there is a turnaround going on there that is going to bear fruit. And Morgan Stanley does have a strong franchise. It's not the same kind of franchise, again, as Goldman Sachs or even some of the other, like uh, J.P. Morgan, same kind of franchise there. But I think it's worth more than where it's trading at right now. So really, that's more of a price-based uh, mm-hmm. ranking right there. Uh, Green Hill, I, th- I think Green Hill is, in terms of the boutique investment banks, um, my favorite. I-, I think they've got really good people there. They've got a good presence uh, globally. So the- their U.S. operations are good. I, th- I, th- I think they have good people everywhere. But they ha- have been winning. They- they've historically won a ton of business in Europe and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think particularly as we see Europe start to recover a little bit more, that could help their business. Uh, moving on to Lazard, the same is kind of true there. Lazard also has a very big, uh, very big stronghold in Europe and globally. So, so U.S. investors may not be as familiar with the Green Hill and the Lazard because they have more of that presence overseas. And uh, you gave enough of a pitch of Evercore. I'm not as hating big of a fan. Evercore. I, I, <laughs> hating on it, but I know you're not hating. I actually do. I, I like. I think I like the businesses of these boutiques. I guess you, they're not really boutiques. They're really just smaller, pure play investment banks. Uh, I think I like it. I'm not going to say 100% like the business because. Because they're smaller, how much market share can they get? Um, but I think there is a spot for these smaller pure play investment banks rather than I, I know they're competing against Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, mm-hmm. but I think there is a space for Evercore to be that pure play, focus on the client. Uh, so long term, they're a little bit hard to judge where these businesses are going to be 10 years. What are the earnings power going to look like 10 years from now? I'm leaning towards that it, that it's going to look brighter than it is today. So I'm fairly optimistic on, on the industry as a whole. Do you own any of the – I'm still going to call them boutiques even if you don't want to. Okay. Do you own any of the boutiques? I don't, but they're being put on my radar. We've got a lot on our plate here. So I've got a lot of businesses I'm looking at. You so are a Goldman Sachs shareholder. I am, I am a Goldman Sachs. None of the smaller guys, though. They're on the list to look into and find some opportunities. There you go. All right. Well, let's close it out today with a visit to the Twitter sphere. David, what's the first tweet? The first tweet – is about Mike Mayo, and it's from Aaron Lucchetti? Lucchetti. Lucchetti. Is the C a K, or is it a chuss sound? We can ask him later. Uh, the, the tweet is, analyst Mike Mayo takes on Bank of America's Brian Moynihan, and he links out to a Wall Street Journal article there. Mike Mayo, the polarizing bank analyst, I guess you could, you could call him that. It's pretty fair. Um, called out Jamie, or Jamie Dimon called him out earlier this year. So now Mayo's calling out Bank of America. He, he rated this stock as a sell in 2012. It's since up 70%, and he's sticking to his bearish points on this. He's saying that since Moynihan took over, stocks lagging the KBW by 58 percentage points. Their, their metrics aren't clear in terms of how they're judging performance. He, and his quote was, don't confuse brains with a bull market. So he's, he's not giving Brian Moynihan and Bank of America a lot of credit I, I know he's a smart guy. Do you, do you disagree with any of this? Well, I, I'm I, assuming I, you do since I, you're shareholder. Yes, I, I do disagree. Um, it's, it's not easily that you disagree with a guy like Mike Mayo. He's a very sharp guy, very sharp bank analyst. Um, and, and I think it's important to, to tune in and take seriously when smart people are, are saying something that's opposite of your thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to think that uh, – I happen to see Moynihan's – 
what he's doing as a positive for the bank. He's, he is shrinking certain parts of the operations, but I think those are parts of the operations that are in need of shrinking. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, setting the bank up for growing in areas that, uh, that will be more profitable and, and better for the, will help the bank thrive over the long term. And frankly, just setting it up for a better interest rate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like Moynihan. I think he's a fine banker. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you want anybody that's flashy in there. Right. I've, I've been critical of some of the things Moynihan has done, and Mayo points out scaling back the mortgage banking business right before the refi boom. He's saying that's potentially cost the bank $6 billion in revenue. So I've been critical of that as well, but I, I don't necessarily agree with him saying, well, they're, they're shrinking the bank, but then touting how diverse it is. I disagree with that because they're shrinking things, like you said, that are pretty non-core. Selling the stake in, in China Construction Bank that's shrinking the bank, but that's not core to the operation. So I happen to agree with some of the stuff they're doing over there. So kind of on the fence, somewhat agreeing with Mayo, but I think I'm more so with you in agreeing that it's a little, little off base. All right, second tweet. We've got Reinsurance Master. The Twitter handle is at ReinsuranceM. This is uh, Earn hits the cover off the ball. Glad I loaded up a few days ago. And I'm going to guess that you don't know what Earn is, or do you? I, don't, I actually don't know what Earn is. All right, if this is I, I, full disclosure. I'm not an, uh, an Earn uh, expert. We should say that this is. We're not talking about Earns here. This is W A R N. That's the ticker symbol for Ellington Residential Mortgage REIT. So this is a mortgage REIT, and it hasn't been on my radar because it just came public and IPO'd in May. So okay. it's very new. It's been crushed. Not surprisingly, not a great time to. to to become a public company uh, as, as a mortgage REIT in late May there. Mm-hmm. Their reported earnings, higher net, uh, net interest income. They were able to pick up s- some higher yielding assets this quarter and grew book values. The stock is up 11% today. It was trading at a 25% discount to book. We talked about the, uh, the other ones in the space that were trading at around 15 to 10%. So it's been crushed, reported some positive earnings here. Going to look into it more to see if it's kind of just a one-time thing or maybe this management team has the, the mortgage read positioned well. So, earn. Maybe one to put well, on your watch w- list and look into w- it. Without having, without having looked at this closely, I, I would imagine that it's got a much smaller balance sheet than a lot of these competitors, it right? And it just came public, so just raised some additional capital. Mm-hmm. So, it's been putting more capital to work as a percentage of its balance sheet mm-hmm. than, than everybody else at these higher rates, Right. Right. So that would position itself, that, that would position the company well for right now because we had the big bump in, mm-hmm. in interest rates that hurt everybody. And then it's been, it's been smoother sailing for, for the quarter since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, the longer term, the bigger picture is still that we're at rock bottom interest rates right, right now. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't necessarily take that as they're brilliant. Oh, this no. is going to be the... I, was I, I wasn't saying, saying that you were saying Just that. saying it's one to put on your radar. There was a mortgage rate that was up 11% in a day. I think that gets right. on a lot of people's radar. That's, well, I mean, that's, that's the point that I'm making is that mm-hmm. 11% up in a day, it, obviously people are, are buying into that. Some and it's still down since the IPO, so it's not like this is a world beater so far. So just, I thought that was an interesting one. That is an interesting All one. All right, final tweet of the day. This is from Yahoo Finance. Is this the greatest tattoo in the history of, of finance, and this is from Business Insider. We have a picture of this tattoo. Yes, for those of you watching, that is Mike Milken. For those of you listening, that is Mike Milken. Yes, that is Mike <laughs> Milken. There is a man with a tattoo. It kind of looks like a Wall Street Journal uh, kind of. Yeah, picture it does. Yeah, the, of, the little charcoal drawings. Exactly of Milken. There, this guy's name is Billy Lee. 
He is a trader in Chicago, and he always said he made a bet with friends that he wouldn't. That they said you would never get a tattoo of Mike Milken on your arm, and he got one. Is this what did he get? What did he get in that? Bet? I think he got like a hundred dollars from each. That seems way too low to get a man who? that has been, all right, all right, has been all right. outlawed from the securities industry. Here is uh, who, who is the obscure finance figure who you would consider getting tattooed on your arm. Oh man. I have no idea. No, that's insane. Like, I would, uh, way more than $100 here. For like a million, maybe I'd do it. It would take you a million? What about Warren Buffett? Would you get Warren Buffett tattooed on your arm? $500,000, I'd do it. Really? That's, that's ridiculous. I would get Warren Buffett tattooed on my arm for substantially less. $50? Than, no, not $50. It, it would take a legitimate amount of money, but not a half a million dollars. That's, it's a little crazy, but he was, this guy really likes him, so I guess you got to tip your hat to him. Really, if you like something, he, this guy went after it. I guess you do. Well, that's our show for today. Uh, you can tweet us at TMF Financials. That's at TMF Financials. Send us your comments, questions. Our email address is WTMI at fool.com. I am Matt Copenheffer. This here is David Hansen, and we'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 